right. Welcome, Garden City. Thanks for uh, bringing the church here this morning. If you guys are ready, we're going to do some uh, baptism celebrations this morning, which is going to be pretty fun. And uh, hey, if you are new here and don't know what that means, it's okay. We're going to talk about it this morning. So by the time we do it, hopefully you'll have a pretty good picture of what it is and why we do it. But thanks so much for being here. If you are new, uh, special thanks to you. I know it takes some courage to go into a place that's unfamiliar. Thanks for having the courage to come and hang out with us. We've got a welcome table in the back, and Stacy's back there, uh, able and willing to answer any questions. More than that, we'd just love to make a connection, and obviously I'll be up front after the service, and we'd love to say hey and give you a high five. Um, So this morning, yeah, baptisms are coming, and we're uh, closing out our series in, uh, in our purpose statement, finding our place in the story of God. So we're going to mix baptisms into this, and um, but we're going to dig into Luke chapter 24, it's where we've been the last uh, three weeks. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 24, that's where we're going to dig in. This is the resurrection of Jesus as he is shock, shocking and awing all of his disciples with what he has done. They didn't expect it, they didn't see it coming, even though he told them what was coming. They didn't see it, right? Sometimes it is hard for us to find our place in the story of God and we miss out. But what Jesus is doing is he's patiently and forcefully, he does both at the same time, he's patient and forceful and he's drawing his followers into this beautiful thing that he is doing, uh, which is the new life that he gives. So um, Luke chapter 24, we're gonna pick up, we've been here, I guess this is our third week, kind of finishing out this uh, story in the resurrection account. But I wanna read, Uh, verse 36 of Luke 24. Um, As they, the disciples, were talking about these things, these things meaning that the disciples are starting to have uh, encounters with the resurrected Jesus. Okay, so it's a pretty big, these things. As they were talking about these things, then Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you peace to you, which uh, may sound like a customary greeting in the first century. But the reason why peace to you was a customary greeting among God's people in the first century is because for a couple thousand years, God had been preparing and telling his people what life on earth with him was supposed to be about. And what it was supposed to be about was peace. Or the word shalom. Remember, I think it was four weeks ago we talked about the word shalom, which probably for us a better translation would be flourishing. Flourishing to you. Flourishing in what sense? Well, peace, shalom, means the right and harmonious interaction of all things. So Jesus is saying, disciples, followers, and this would be men and women gathered here, he said, may the harmonious interaction of all things right now be upon you. It's more than a greeting. It's a blessing. It's an invitation and a recognition that right now we should all be in this shalom, flourishing place that God has destined or created all of us for. Harmonious interaction of all things. Reminder, reminder for us, what are those all things that he made us for? Well, the first thing is he made us for himself. So Jesus said, here I am, God in the flesh, I am with you. 
That's, that's the first hinge point of any kind of an abundant life as a human being we're seeking. He's the fixed point. If he's not there, you're not going to find an abundant life. So Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I, here I am, I am with you, right? So there's the God part of the shalom equation. And then he's got his disciples there, each individual. And each individual now in the presence of God now has the ability to respond and receive, to respond and to receive from him, which will then position each of those disciples as an individual in a, in a sure founded place, right? To build your house upon the rock is a pretty secure and fixed place to build. And it's a good place for a, an individual to be founded upon, right? So it's God, we've got God, we've got each individual there. And now from that place of Jesus in the flesh, breathing his life and emanating his presence with each individual disciple, now what can happen is some really cool things. Now the disciples can start arguing, stop arguing and fighting with each other and vying for who's best and who's greatest. And now ordered under the beautiful headship of Jesus, now they can start to love each other and relate and interact in community with one another the way that they're supposed to. Peace be upon you. And now, right from this place of receiving from God and being a whole and healed self and being in flourishing and full relationships with other people, now you can walk out your vocational and creational callings that God has given to us and gifted us for. Peace be upon you. It's more than just saying, hey guys, what's up? But before Jesus says this, um, the disciples are not walking in peace. They're not walking in the harmonious interaction of God's self, others, in creation. There's other things that are going on, and we have seen this. Um, they're struggling to believe that Jesus is out of the tomb. No one believes it, actually. Even though previously he told them he was going to do this, when they receive reports that the tomb is empty, everyone's dumbfounded what's going on. It, it can't be. Jesus clearly can't be God because he's dead. He died. So they're disconnected from Jesus, right? Previous to Jesus showing up, they're disconnected. And because they're disconnected from Jesus, we know in the account that we've been in in Luke for the last couple of weeks, everyone is sad, um, brokenhearted, fearful, dismayed, right? All of the downer kind of emotions that we walk with so regularly, the disciples are feeling those in heavy measure, disconnected from Jesus and in their own selves carrying a whole bunch of burden and weight. And out of that place, well, their relationships will be what they are. And we even saw this last week, even regarding creational relationships. Remember the two disciples, they left Jerusalem thinking that Jesus was not the Messiah, he's not God, he's not dead. They leave Jerusalem in sadness and they're walking all the way to Emmaus, which is a seven mile march. And then they meet Jesus on the road, they find out that he is resurrected and then they walk seven miles back. Essentially, and isn't this true, they could have saved themselves a seven mile creational march by just believing that Jesus was out of the tomb, stay in Jerusalem and look for him. But in our dismay, in our sadness, not walking in shalom, oftentimes what we find ourselves doing vocationally and creationally is we do a lot of work that we need not do. 
because we're not positioned in the right place with God, with ourselves, with others, and with creation. Everything in the disciples is broken, and then Jesus shows up and he says, now we're going to set it all right because I am here. Peace be upon you. Verse 37, right? But, darn it, (laughs) but, peace be upon you, but, We've seen so often that the disciples, the women, the men, they're having such a hard time entering into the thing that God is doing and responding appropriately. It's so hard for them and us to find our place in the story of God. Jesus is proclaiming peace over them, verse 37, but ah, they're going to do something else here. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit or a ghost, a specter of some sort. They're not finding their place in his story. Peace should be theirs right now because here's God and he's setting you right and he's setting your relationships right. He's going to set your rulership over creation right. Peace should be theirs. It is not. Instead, they are walking in fear. They're walking in a different narrative. Now, the great thing about this, and we've seen this all through the 24th chapter of Luke, is that Jesus will not accept this as their posture moving forward. He will not allow them to stay disconnected from his story, and he will not allow us to stay disconnected from what he is doing. Verse 38, and Jesus says to them, why are you troubled And why do doubts arise in your hearts? You ever had a good coach that stops practice? Blows the whistle. And they just just call you out. Spotlight goes on you. Everybody's looking at you. And then the coach just starts to download something on you about what you did wrong and how we can correct that and how we need to make that right. Have you ever had that experience before? I've had that more times than I would care to admit. But it, it's such a good thing when it's coming from a good coach. Why are you frightened right now? Why are you dismayed? Right, and he calls out the truth. Because what does he want to do? He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants to draw us into what? Peace be upon you. Shalom flourishing, God's self, others' creation, all of it, yours. Peace be upon you. Get out of where you are and join me where I am. That's Jesus' constant call. Now, I just want to say this. Um, If we want to understand Jesus, who he is and what he longs to do in us, we have to understand two different sides of a coin. And Jesus is about both of these sides of the coin. Here's the first side of the coin. What Jesus longs to do first is he wants to meet us where we are and affirm his love over us as we are. Because remember the old hymn, just as I am, dot, dot, dot. Like he loves to show up and bestow his unmerited favor over us as we are, however bad it is. He loves to do that. And then on the other side of the coin, then what he does is he refuses then, according to his love, he refuses to leave us as we are, 
but calls us from the whatever, the frightened, the fear, the dismay, the rebellion, the sin, the whatever that he calls us from that and says, what's going on with this? Why are we doing this? And then he pulls us over into something that is more akin to shalom, peace, flourishing. He meets us where we are, but he refuses to leave us where we are. Now, um, I don't know if how many of you are like aware of wider things that are happening culturally. I would assume that most of us are. But there's two, um, there's a battle going on in our culture right now, and there's two distinct sides, as there are in every single cultural battle. And sometimes it's fascinating to look at what our culture is doing, because typically what our culture is doing, it's doing without Jesus. And so um, culturally without Jesus, what we see is... um, two distinct versions of the the sides of the coin that I described to you earlier, but minus Jesus. Here's the one side of the cultural battle that uh, I see. The one side is, uh, is the side that says, affirm me, affirm me, affirm me, just as I am. Love me as I am, say that whatever I am doing and however and whoever I am, say that I'm great, say that it's good, Respect me, honor me, no matter what. And then, and then here's the crazy thing. If we as people do not affirm and honor and lift up this person or these people, whatever the thing is, as they are where they are, then these people will get angry and then like heap shame and guilt on us for not affirming them as they are. And then like, what, there's this word in our culture, it's called like getting canceled. If you do not affirm me and support me and throw your um, encouragement in my direction regarding me and all the things that I'm doing, then what I will do is I will cancel you because you are not fit to live in a society where I am because you're not giving me what I want, right? So there's one side that like violently so is clamoring for everyone to to love them and affirm everything about them, regardless of what it is that they're into and what they're doing, okay? This is the one side, and this is the prominent side of our culture, right? This is a huge voice right now. And we gotta be really careful like what voices we listen to, because I just wanna say, I, I see so many of us in the church so often taking our cues from what the world is saying rather than what the Lord is saying to us, okay? And I know some of you, that makes you angry, that's okay, because Jesus makes lots of people angry, and he makes me angry lots of the time too, okay? But in redemptive and good ways. But that's one side of our culture, okay? Now, with, within any cultural battle, what you're gonna find oftentimes is like one extreme position, and then, and then what you'll find is you'll find another group of people that respond to that side by going to the very other extreme side of the pendulum. The pendulum always overcorrects when you're looking at a group of people without Jesus, always overcorrects back and forth. So you got the super affirm me, love me as I am people. But then on this side, you've got the, um, the suck it up snowflake people. You guys ever, if you're not familiar with these people, like it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's like this group. And the idea is something akin to this. If... If you finish out your day and you're putting your head on your pillow, if you have not bled two pints of blood in the direction of doing something epic, 
you've wasted your day. And the goal over here is to like stuff out and to knock out any and every weak thought that you have that wells up in your body. If you wake up in the morning and think, man, I don't want to go for a run. Well, then you better go for a marathon run because you got to beat that weakness out of you, right? And if you're having like money troubles and you're like having trouble spending money in all the wrong ways, then what you need to do is like something extreme. Cut up all your credit cards. Don't have any cash on it. Like don't buy anything. It's just this extreme move to becoming better, doing more, improving not getting stuck. You can do more. It's this constant message of you're not enough, do more. You're not enough, you can do more. And it's fascinating. And all this is like minus Jesus. It's fascinating to see this pendulum go back and forth and to see both sides just like arguing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, right? So just, to, just one more time. On this side, we have the affirm me people. The caricature is if If anyone, right here, this would be an example. If anyone um, today has said anything harmful to you, then here's what you deserve, right? Go ahead and put your Snuggie on. Take the next two weeks off of work and just sit on your couch and just feel sorry for yourself. Anybody remember Snuggies? That was probably a while ago, right? Okay, I never got one. I'm just saying Snuggies are comforting. That's the super caricature of the affirm me side. This side over here is, If you're not bleeding pints every day and doing something epic, then you're a loser. That's where we're at culturally, okay? Now, here's the danger, because oftentimes when culture starts fighting, we like to pick sides, don't we? Well, I should pick one, because we always think we need to pick sides, right? But the danger is, right, you ever been on an airplane and you're like on the runway getting ready to take off and then the pilot like starts, okay, if you're on an airplane, Next time you're on, I just encourage you to do this. Look out the right side of the airplane and look out the left. And just make sure that you got both wings of the airplane intact. Make sure they're both there. Because if you get on an airplane and you only got one functioning wing, here's what I know is going to happen. I'm not a physics expert, but I know enough. That that if you just have one wing on the airplane, when that plane is on the runway and you hit like 130, 140 miles per hour, you're going to get some lift. On one side of the airplane, that thing's going to lift up and the other side ain't lifting because there's no lift mechanism over here. And at 150 miles per hour, you're going to flip over and you're going to smash into the ground again, right? It's dangerous to fly a one-winged airplane. And similarly, we ought not necessarily pick between the affirm me, affirm me side and the suck it up and bleed some more side, right? Both sides are seeing something true. They're just seeing something true without Jesus and they're only seeing one side. And anything you see without Jesus is very dangerous. And anytime you only run to one side, that's also dangerous. So we got double danger going on here. Right? So, but if you want to understand Jesus, we have to understand two things. I already said it. I'll say it again. He meets us and he affirms us as we are. In his love for us, he finds us where we are. And that's constant and that never stops. Right? It's not like his love meets us where we are as we are in the beginning, and then he goes into suck it up mode. No, his love always is bestowed on us as we are. He's always affirming his love for us, our position in his family, that we are adopted and chosen sons and daughters. That is constant, and that is who he is for us. 
right? He is constantly affirming us in his love. And, and, and he is constantly calling us out of where we are in our actions, behaviors, beliefs, in our identities, in all the things in our lives where Jesus says, why are you like this? We should be moving over here. Stop with your fear and anxiety. Join me in peace. He's constantly calling us up and higher. It's both and. And essentially, we see this in in baptism. Both of these sides are clearly portrayed in the act of baptism. Because the first act of baptism is that symbolically, this is just a picture of what God has already done for us, that we go into the grave with Jesus. We are in Christ. We go into his death. And what does it mean to go into his death? Well, it means that his love finds us where we are in all of our brokenness, all of our nastiness, all of our ugliness, all of our dysfunctional messes. And he brings us into the grave and he says, I love you and I'm forgiving you of all of that. I see it all. He sees more than we do. And I still love you. And I'm still choosing you. And my love is showering over you. And I am laying my life down to cover you so that my love can blanket you as you are. That's the in the grave portion of baptism. And then, cool thing is, Jesus doesn't stay there. But he bursts out of the tomb. And I guarantee you, everybody we baptized this morning, they're going into the water. And they're coming out. I'll give you that rock-solid guarantee. We're going to bring them up. Don't worry. But the picture of coming up out of the water is resurrection life, new life. John 10.10, abundant God's presence with us, us being healed and redeemed and becoming whole, all of those things, us stepping into full relationships with other people, us walking in our identity so we can do the vocational things that he's created us to do, all of that is resurrection life, and that's the picture of coming up out of the grave with him. It is both sides. He loves us as we are, and he calls us into that which we are not yet. Baptism is a picture. And then after this, he says, guys, why, why do doubts arise in your hearts? And I love what Jesus does. Just, he, he, he says, hey, do you guys have any fish? Do you have anything to eat? And they're like, oh, yeah, we got some broiled fish here. And then Jesus takes a piece of broiled fish and he just starts eating it in front of them. Just right on the ground level, guys, I'm not a ghost. I'm not a specter. I am I told you I was going to die. I told you I was going to suffer. I told you I was going into the grave. And I told you I was going to rise again. And here I am, flesh and blood. I'm eating food in front of you. Peace be upon you. Peace be yours. In verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Then verse 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Check this verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. 
but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, Jesus says, I've got work for you to do. I am with you. I am healing you and making you whole. I am bringing you into significant and life-giving relationships with other people. I am calling you into all the things that you were made to do. And you are my witnesses. And we've got a whole world out there that we are seeking to reclaim. And that's our mission. And now, peace be upon you. Now you're equipped and positioned and ready to find your place in this beautiful thing that God is doing, the story that God is writing. Loved and affirmed just as you are forgiven and loved in the death of Jesus. Called and empowered from on high to be more than you currently are, according to the love of Jesus. Affirmed and called into more. Both sides. Understand both sides deeply. Now positioned to find our place.